Hello, and welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by a professional storyteller. I'm your host, Daniel Allison, and this is episode 61, Poet and Rhiannon. If you're a new listener, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, then hit subscribe now in your podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. On this podcast, you'll hear myths, legends, and traditional stories from myself and master storytellers from across the world. I release two episodes each month, one featuring a story from me and one featuring a story from a guest teller. You can get access to every House of Legends episode by becoming a patron. By pledging $5 per month or more, you'll receive a patron-only episode each month, along with a worksheet full of questions and creative prompts to help you deepen your connection to the story. As well as being an oral storyteller, I'm also an author. I write retellings of myths and legends, as well as fantasy inspired by Celtic myths and legends. You can now find my books by searching for Daniel Allison on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, though currently you can only get my full catalogue on Amazon. You can get my book The Shattering Sea as a free download on Kindle, Kobo and Apple Books. If you're interested in becoming a storyteller yourself, or you're already a storyteller and would like to develop your craft, you can join my online storytelling school, The Roundhouse, or you can join my Myth Singers coaching program, which includes Roundhouse membership plus two monthly group coaching sessions with me. Visit roundhouseschool.com to learn more and download a free pack of stories. You'll find links to all of the above in the show notes. A bit of news, Finn and the Fianna, my latest book, is now available to buy as a paperback in the UK and as an ebook worldwide. It'll take longer for paperback stocks to arrive in the US and other countries. We had a wonderful online launch in partnership with the Stafford Knot Storytelling Club, and the feedback so far has thankfully been great. Also, sorry this episode is late. I've just moved house to a cottage in the countryside, nestled at the edge of the Lammermuir Hills, not far from where I grew up. It's been pretty hectic, as moving usually is, but I'm settled in now and excited to record in this beautiful place which is right by a stream, surrounded by ancient trees, visited by many beautiful birds, including a woodpecker and a pair of owls. It's a bit chilly here, so you might be able to hear my fire crackling in the background. Our story today is the second story in the Mabinogion series. In the previous story, a prince named Poyal spent a year in Anovin, the other world, which I've learnt also translates as inner deep, and came back a changed man. You can listen to this episode without having heard that story, but I'd still recommend listening to that story first. If you've noticed that I'm pronouncing the words Poyer and Anovin differently to last time, that's because I've spent some time speaking to a Welsh storyteller who's helped me a bit with my pronunciation. There's a lot to learn, but I'll try my best. And now for this week's story, the second part of the first branch of the Mabinogi. This is Poyer and Llianon. A long time ago in David, there was a prince named Poyer. 
he was known as Poyel, Prince Abenovan, for he had lived there in the other world for a time, and since returning, he had ruled with such wisdom and grace that his subjects, said life in Anovin, could hardly be better than life in David. It happened once that Poyel went to visit his court in our birth. He rode there with a great company of men, and once there, he and his men were feasted with the honour that befitted them. Musicians played, tumblers tumbled, and hounds fought over meat thrown to them by full-bellied men. Poyel ate and drank and talked and laughed and danced until eventually he felt like going outside to take the air. And though it was late in the evening, it was midsummer, and the sun still lingered in the sky. Poyel wandered away from the feasting hall, his gaze wandering over the hills and mounds that surrounded it, and as it did so, it came to rest on a particular little hill. There was something about this place. It pulled at Poyet awakening him as if a bow had struck the strings of a dusty, forgotten fiddle. That is Gorsed Arberth, said a voice. An old, grey-bearded man of the court had come to stand beside Poyet. It is a strange place. Why so? Because of what happens when a man sits there. Any man who sits there will experience one of two things. Some men who sit there lose their minds. They come back gibbering and raving as if their spirit had been torn apart by crows and scattered across a raging ocean. And what happens to a man who does not lose his mind? asked Poyel. Such a man sees wonders from beyond the world. The sky opens up and pours its secrets into him. The gods remove their veils and come to sit by his side. The truth of things cannot hide from a man who sits on that mound and survives it. Poyet watched as the sunlight streamed down upon the mound. He had lived in an oven. He had seen more wonders than most men. But still, his heart yearned for more. Gather my men, said Poyet. I will go and sit on Gorsedar berth. Soon afterwards, the prince and his retinue of riders were on the road to Gorsedar berth. They reached the foot of the mound and they rode for the top. They stopped and dismounted when they were close. Wait here, said Poyet. I will climb to the top of the mound alone. He did so, and the men who'd been laughing and joking fell quiet as Poyet took his seat. There Poyet sat, surveying all he saw. His men were quiet, and the world had fallen quiet too. He watched a crow fly by and wondered, was he mad? Why did he risk his mind to see wonders? Why could he not be content with all he had? And then, from out of the trees, a little way down the road, there came riding a woman on a white horse. She wore a gown of gold, her hair was midnight black, and Poyet found he cared for no vision other than the sight of her. She rode past the mound, and Poyet realised he must act quickly or he might never see her again. She was riding out of sight. He must go to her, or, or maybe not. Perhaps it would be better, he thought, if she came to him. Yet he didn't know what he would say to such a woman, though he wanted nothing more than to speak with her. The thought of doing so was terrifying. Yes, 
Better she came to him, he thought. She would see him sat there above his men and see him for the prince he was. Go after that woman, he called to one of his men. Bring her here. The man did as he was asked. He leapt into the saddle and he rode hard after the gold-cloaked lady. He pursued her as she turned a bend in the road and went out of sight. Poyas waited. Soon, the man returned, alone. What happened? Why do you return alone? said Poyas. Sire, said the man. It was the strangest thing. I rode after her, as you asked, and I saw her only a little way ahead of me. I urged my horse on, thinking to overtake her and speak with her. Yet she stayed just as far ahead of me as she had been before. So I broke into a canter, still she was no closer, and a gallop, still she was no closer. And yet all the time, she rode along a slow, easy pace, as if she were out taking the air on this summer's evening. Poyev was sorely disappointed. The only thing he could do was to return the next night and hope she rode by again. He did just that, and this time he ensured he had his fastest rider with him. They rode to the mound in the late evening. They climbed the mound. Poyeth went alone to the top. He thought again of the old man's words. Some men who sit there lose their minds. They come back gibbering and raving, as if their spirit had been torn apart by crows and scattered across a raging ocean. There was nothing for it. He had to see the rider again. Nothing else in the world mattered to him. So he sat atop the mound and waited. The rider emerged from among the trees. Go, go now, he called to his fastest rider who was ready and waiting. The man rode down the mound. He rode out onto the road and he rode after the gold-cloaked rider as she disappeared from sight. Poyev waited. His man returned. Alone. I am sorry, sire. Never in my life have I ridden so fast, yet I could not draw close to the gold-cloaked woman. She simply rode along, as if she were simply out enjoying the air on this summer's evening. We will return here tomorrow, said Poyer. The men looked at one another. Maybe we shouldn't, said one of them. It is dangerous. We will return tomorrow, said Poyev. Night and day passed. They returned to the mound. This night, the banter and songs of the first night were absent. The men feared for Poyev, who risked his mind each time he sat atop the mound. One final time, he climbed the mound and sat down. The rider appeared again. This time, Poyev didn't call to his men. He shot up, ran for his horse and leapt into the saddle. He rode down the mound and through the grass and onto the road and there she was ahead of him. Poyev gallops down the road, urging and urging his horse on with heel and hand while ahead of him the gold-cloaked lady ambled forward. Yet he came no closer to her. Poyev screamed at his mount. His mount that had been chosen for this task, that had been blessed by his druids, massaged by his physicians, brushed and saddled by his finest grooms. It thundered down the road and all around them was a blur and still the gold-cloaked lady was no closer. And his mount was tiring now. 
Boyette felt its pace slow by a sliver and he knew he was defeated. For the love of the gods, he called out. I beg you, please stop and speak with me. Instantly, the rider halted. She turned her mount and rode towards him. I'll happily stop and speak with you, she said. And it might have been better if you'd asked me that two nights ago. Boyeth gazed at her. Her beauty was as sharp as a knife. Who are you? I am Rhiannon, she said. Daughter of Hen. Why have you come here? For you, Boyeth of Anoven, she said. My father wishes for me to marry, and he has arranged for me to marry Gwal, but I do not love him, and I do not wish to marry him. I wish to marry you. I will marry you, said Poyet quickly. Good, said Rhiannon. Come to my father's court a year from this day. You will find a feast prepared for you, and we shall marry. And with that, Rhiannon turned and rode away. Poyeth returned to the mound and told his men the news. They cheered him and drank toasts and returned to the hall to celebrate through the night. They celebrated through the next day and the next night too, and there was never a moment when Poyeth's cup was not full. Eventually, the fire of their celebration faded, and Poyeth left for Arberth, returning home. He went on with his life as he had done before, cheering his lands and taking care of his kingdom, and yet the life he had loved was now a torment, for she was not in it, and he had to wait a year before he saw her again, and he was not accustomed to waiting for what he wanted. So he kept his cup full, to make the nights go by faster, and soon to make the days go by faster too. Instead of listening to those he spoke with, he interrupted them to turn the conversation towards Trianon, the black-haired beauty he had chosen him, him, Poyeth of Dovid, Poyeth of Anovin, to be her husband. Poyeth's friends tired of this, and so he tired of them, and every season was worse than the last as he fought through the hours that he spent waiting for her. Pride became his companion and confidant, and he toasted himself for being so fine a man as to attract Rhiannon. Time crept forward, and finally, the day came for Poyeth and his retinue to ride out for the hall of Hiveth Hen. They crossed the country at a canter. Every man wore his finest clothes, and the coats of their horses were as smooth as silk. They reached the court of Hiveth Hen, whose servants saw to their horses and admitted them to his hall. The fires had been lit, hogs roasted on spits, the harpers' harps were ready to be struck. Poyeth strode through the hall, and after all his waiting, he saw Rhiannon sat at his father's side. She bid him welcome, introduced him to her father, and sat him down between the two of them. When all were seated and ready to begin, Hivathen gave the signal, and the feast began. Poyeth had never been so happy, not even on the finest day in an oven. Rhiannon was at his side. They would marry tonight as waiting was over. The hours flew by, the dishes came and went, and one person after another came to congratulate Poyeth and Rhiannon. He drank with all of them and refilled his cup. And late, late in the night, a man 
and Poeth did not recognize, came to the high table. My lord, he said to Poeth, this is a fine feast. It befits a man such as you, who has won such a bride as Rhiannon. You are generous, said Poeth, for in a corner of his eye, he saw Rhiannon watching him closely, and she seemed to be mouthing something to him, but his vision was swimming a little and he was struggling to stay focused on the man before him. There is something I would ask of you, my lord, said the man. Then ask it, said Poeth, and on my word you shall have it. Suddenly Rhiannon grabbed him and pulled him to face her. You fool, she hissed. Do you not know who that is? That is Gual, the man whom my father wished me to marry. It is you who is generous, my lord, said Gual, and I think you know now what I would ask of you. I would have Rhiannon to be my wife, not yours, and I would have all the food and drink that is served here so that your wedding feast may be our wedding feast. I ask a lot, I know, but since you have given your word, I do not think you shall refuse me. As angry as Poeth was, as much as he wanted to strike down Gual, he would not do so. He had given his word and was about to answer Gual when Shrianan spoke to him again. This is what you must do. Tell him that since this is not your hall, the food and drink is not yours to give. He must wait a year and then a feast shall be prepared. At that feast, I shall marry him. Listen, you will come to the feast with 99 men, but come in secret and have them wait in the forest outside the hall and do not let them be seen. Once the feast is gone on a while, you must approach the feast dressed in a beggar's rags and bearing a bag that I shall give you now. Ask Gual for enough food to fill the bag. No matter how much food he puts in it, he will not be able to fill it. He will have you put the bag on the floor and he will try to stamp down the food. When he does that, you must seal the bag with him inside it and call on your men to come and fight his men. If all that is done and done well, if all that is done and done well, we shall marry. Poeth did as Rhiannon bid him. He asked Gual to return after a year, at which time a feast would be held and Gual would marry Trianon. Poeth returned home. He had thought he would return with Trianon at his side. Instead, he would have to wait another year before he even saw her again, and all through his own foolishness. If the plan went awry, it would be the last time he saw her, for she would marry Gual. The plan shall not fail, Poeth swore to himself on the way home. Gual shall not see through my disguise. Poeth did not sleep in his bed that night. He slept with the hounds in the kennels, and at breakfast time he shared the meat that was thrown to them. His clothes were soon filthy, but he didn't change them. His hair and beard grew ragged, but he did not tend to them, as in the days that followed. He forewent every pleasure that had filled his days. He didn't hunt, he didn't feast. Instead, he wandered the woods near his court, or sometimes he went to the marketplaces to beg, for none recognised him in the state he was in. And it was a different Poeth 
who, a year later, mounted his horse and rode again for the court of Hevethen. Before drawing near to Hevethen's court, they turned from the road and made their way through the forest, out of sight of any passing rider. When they came close, they dismounted and settled down to wait for the dark hours to come. When the night was half spent, Boeth rose and left the camp. Through the forest he walked. An owl cut the air above him as he clasped Rhiannon's bag between his fingers, his yellow fingernails pressing into his rough skin. He must not fail. Poyeth reached the gates. The guards looked scathingly at him, yet they knew well the custom, that on a night such as this, a prince or lord would wish to show his generosity to all, so they let the stinking beggar pass. Into the feasting hall Poyeth walked. Lords and ladies who had bowed before him sniffed and turned away or jeered and mocked him. A red-bearded man contrived to trip as he passed Poyeth, spilling his ale all over him. Poyeth lowered his eyes and made his way forward as laughter erupted all around. He reached the high table. There sat Gwal, in the seat he had sat in, between Rhiannon and Hivethen. Gwal was laughing at some jest Hivethen had made. Rhiannon was watching Poeth intently. Poeth's heart skittered like a captured crab, but he quickly looked away from her, at Gwal. Gwal saw him. Ah, a lord of the road. <laughs> Have you come to ask something of me, man? I have, my lord, said Poeth. If it is not too much, I would ask for enough food to fill my bag here. It is not too much for a man such as you, said Gwal. He signalled to a serving man, who began to heap food from each dish into the bag that Poeth held outstretched. Yet, the bag did not fill. The serving man looked vexed. He carved a hunch of meat that would have defeated a hungry wolf. He dropped it in the bag, yet the bag was still not full. He filled the bag with turnip, pig meat, fish, partridge, every other food they had there, yet still the bag was not full, and the platters on the table were almost unladen. Uh, if I may, said Poeth, the bag will only fill when a great lord stamps down the food. It does this sometimes. Gaul, well, he'd grown tired of the beggar in his bag. He wanted rid of him. So he stood up and walked around the table and <clears throat> took the bag from Poeth, wrinkling his nose as he did so. Give that here, he said. He laid the bag down on the floor. He stretched it out and he began to stamp down the food. And as soon as he did that, Poeth bent over and grabbed the edges of the sack. He pulled them up over Gwal's head and tied the bag tight before Gwal realised what was happening. Then he took a horn that he had hidden under his rags, put it to his lips and he blew it. There was a sound like the distant roaring of the sea. And then Poeth's men burst through the door, their weapons drawn. They fell upon Gwal's men, who drunkenly stumbled to their feet and fell over as they tried to unsheath their swords. It was over in minutes. Gwal's men were held down on the floor as the wounded among them screamed and were silenced. Some of Poeth's men had brought with them sticks and they surrounded the bag with Gwal in it and took turns to beat it. Please, came Gwal's voice from within the bag. This is not a fitting death for me. 
It is the truth, said Vivifan. Poyeth looked at Rhiannon. Let him go, so long as he swears to seek no vengeance. I swear it, said Gwal from within the bag. And so Poyeth agreed. He untied the bag and let Gwal go, and then turned again to face Rhiannon. She smiled at him. She took his hands. At last, Poyeth's long wait was over. He married Rhiannon that night. They thought it was the end of their troubles, but in truth, their troubles had not yet begun. Hope you enjoyed the story. In this story, I particularly love the scene where Poeth and the other riders can't catch up to Rhiannon, but then all it takes to make her stop is for Poeth to ask her to do so. It tells me that if we want to connect to Anovan, the other worlds, the inner deep, sometimes we might just need to stop striving, stop pushing against it and chasing it, and simply ask. The other world is as interested in us as we are in it, the stories tell us. It wants to talk, but a certain etiquette is required. That's all for this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please support it by sharing it on social media or even sharing the link with a few friends who enjoy a good story. I'd also really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as reviews really help the podcast to grow. You can get access to every House of Legends episode by becoming a patron. By pledging $5 per month or more, you'll receive a patron-only episode each month along with a worksheet full of questions and creative prompts to help you deepen your connection to the story. As well as being an oral storyteller, I'm also an author. I write retellings of myths and legends, as well as fantasy inspired by Celtic myths and legends. You can find my books by searching for Daniel Allison on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, although currently you can only get my full catalogue on Amazon. You can get my book The Shattering Sea as a free download on Kindle, Kobo and Apple Books. If you're interested in becoming a storyteller yourself, or you're already a storyteller and would like to develop your craft, you can join my online storytelling school, The Roundhouse. You can also join my Myth Singers coaching program, which includes Roundhouse membership plus two monthly group coaching sessions with me, or you can take one-to-one coaching. Visit roundhouseschool.com. Visit roundhouseschool.com to learn more and download a free pack of stories. You'll find links to all of the above in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.